Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me with your ability to analyze the lyrics of songs, which is a quality I find quite attractive. This week on the Story Song Podcast. I hear the tale of Nolan's glory. Three friends who took inventory of all the songs that tell a story. It's the Story Song Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Story Song Podcast. I'm Dan McInerney. I'm Rachel Oaks. And I'm Michael Gazelle. Every episode we walk you through the wonderful world of a story song. And this week... Uh, we are continuing our mini series on what we are calling the Summer of Symbolism. And That's these right. are songs that tell stories, have narratives, but, you know, there's there's something more going on. Mm-hmm. They're not meant to be taken literally. This mini series is different from our previous mini series where we just reenacted the Thornbirds. That's right. Or the mini series prior to that where we talked about the Civil War for like. <laughs> 80 hours with slow <laughs> pans mm-hmm. across and, mm-hmm. and narration. So this is our first time, right? I, I'm correcting this, right? This is our first time talking about one of my favorite artists, uh-huh. I would say, solo artist, um, Simon N. Garfunkel. I think the guy <laughs> is just amazing. And he can make his voice sound so different yeah, it's crazy. Uh, from time to time. It's really good. Yeah, does his own um, harmonies. I wonder what the N stands for. No idea. Uh, That's what it stands for. No idea. Um, Simon, no idea, Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. Um, And no, JK, I'm kidding you guys. Uh, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel bring us this song. And I do just want to say, I've always thought it was a tragedy that Art got into the music business before the funk explosion. Really would have worked out well. (laughs) A marketing miss opportunity for him. You know, he had it right in the name, even though he is. And let me check my notes real quick. Yes, the whitest man um, who's ever lived. And I say that. I say that as the fifth whitest man. So, That's you know, right. I know what I'm talking about, yeah. people. But uh, really could have got in there with uh, George Clinton uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Dr. Funkenstein. Here comes our Garfunkel, funking it up. The part but, limit um, Garfunkadelic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, I mean, I know what I'm doing in Photoshop. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you do this one, let me just quickly grab you by the scruff of the neck here, throw you right under this bus. Can you tell me the story <laughs> of this story? Like, I don't, we hadn't, wow. when I, I just want to say, when I pitched this yep. uh, idea of the summer symbolism, hadn't really considered the uh, part where we tell the story of the yes. story song, because <laughs> some of these story songs yep. are not really going to have clear narratives that we can lay out for the good people. Oh, but yeah. let's, let's see you give it a try. Okay. Well. Your guess is as good as mine, is Mm -hmm, my mm -hmm. uh, synopsis. No, basically what seems to be happening is we have somebody who is interviewing a Mrs. Robinson. They want to know a little bit about her. You know, they're giving her tips. um, And then, you know. They get real nostalgic about baseball, end, and who can they blame wrap them? Up, yeah, then they wrap up with a <laughs> chat about Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to lie to you, Dan. I uh, cursed your name well, once or twice. But but that's basically what it is. It's, it's, it seems to me, I mean, I think, I think what we have to do is, as we go through it, we'll be able to talk mm-hmm. about it more, about what it, what's, hap- what's actually happening, and then, no. Yeah, what is 
happening and what the symbolism right. and what the subtext of what's happening is, right? Exactly. So, yes. it, but really what it seems to be from the beginning is somebody basically interviewing or having a chit chat with Mrs. Robinson who says basically nothing. That's the thing. Well, and I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously we'll get, we'll, we'll talk about it. I don't think she ever talks. Someone is talking to Mrs. Robinson. Yes. And telling her various things. That's, that's for me, the thing that makes it, you know, in our realm is that clearly someone is talking to this Mrs. Robinson. You know, is she a person? Is she, does she represent America? We'll get there. Mm -hmm. But someone is talking to Mrs. Robinson and, and interviewing her, telling her various different things. So who is this person? Who is Mrs. Robinson? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Yeah. We're going to talk about all of it. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. This starts with the chorus. If I guess this is the chorus, right? Because in this song, it really kind of sneaks up on you. This stanza is repeated, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really, it doesn't like sort of introduce itself as, as the chorus when it comes up. It just, it's just sort of going along and then, oh, you're like, oh, I guess we're already halfway through the chorus. I, wasn't, <laughs> I didn't notice. But uh, after some, some lovely guitar work, um, we, what we hear is, and here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so I've always imagined, you know, in my mind when this song is on, I'm imagining some sort of religious person, a priest, a minister, whatever it is, is talking to Mrs. Robinson, right? Obviously invoking Jesus and, you know, things like that and and heaven and pray makes that obvious. But that's always what's going through my mind. Mm -hmm. So what I want to now throw it out to you guys and say, if anything at all, what is going through your mind, especially during this part of the song? Well, earlier when you said that Mrs. Robinson doesn't talk, Mm -hmm. I like to think that this is the part where she tries to talk, <laughs> where he says, uh, Jesus loves you more than you will know. And she's like, well, that's very, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not whoa, done. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Heaven holds a place God for those you. who pray. Well, that's very, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> hey. I got God three more you. verses. Please, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the part about Joe DiMaggio. You, you got to <laughs> quiet down, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get a lot of whoa, whoa, whoa's and a lot of hey, hey, hey's here, Robinson. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see. I thought of it. I did not think of it as like a priest or a, or a holy person. I thought of it mm -hmm. like a basically like an Irish toast. 
So they're cheersing. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson, holding up a pint of Guinness. So like the like the 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 Jesus loves you more than you will know and heaven holds a place for those who pray is like a like a cheers, like a toast. Like like may you be in heaven <laughs> six hours before the devil knows you're dead. That type of situation. But I'm sorry, are you saying she's dead? No, not or, she's dead. Oh, okay. They're just happy oh, okay. to see her. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. Are you All saying right. they're in a pub? Yeah, they're in a pub. Okay. Yeah. Because the next thing where it's, he, this person tells us, and we are, and we are, we are overhearing what what this person is saying to Mrs. Robinson. Right. And what they say is, and I'm and I'm using gender neutral pro- pronouns just because I, we don't know if it's if this is a, a man or woman. We, we have no idea mm-hmm. who this who this person is. What this person says is, we'd like to know a little bit about you for your files. We'd like to help you learn to help yourself. Look around you. All you see are sympathetic eyes. Stroll around the grounds until you feel at home. So I, so there's two ways to go with this, I think. That's why this, this, this is kind of all over the place. I feel like Mrs. Robinson, she's just, she's, she's being thrown this way and that. They're throwing her for loops mm-hmm. all over the place. <laughs> There's one of two things that I feel like are happening here. Either she's being interrogated by like Big Brother. Okay. Like it's a, also, then this will get into uh, this will also get into more like the timing of when it was released and stuff. But you know, sure. is it you know Big Brother like the TV show? Like she's being interviewed to do the new season? Yeah, it's one of those confessionals. She's in the confessional booth. Yeah, um, <laughs> they call it the diary room. Okay, I'm sorry. So, the, um, but the, Michael, Michael was a producer for season three. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but it, it's, it feels very much like president Nixon would like to speak to you. That type of situation, even though huh. he was not, I don't think he was, I forget when it came. Okay. Out. See, that's not what I get, but, but that's interesting. But the, or the other thing is that she is being admitted. Yes. Yeah. Into a, so this, into a home. So what I'm imagining and again, this is my interpretation. But what I am imagining in this section is a 50s or 60s circa version of like rehab, mm-hmm. right? Or like or like a mental hospital. But again, like the the like one floor over the cuckoo's nest version right. of a mental hospital where maybe there is an undercurrent of <laughs> darkness there maybe there is a foreboding of doom and danger but on the surface he's saying he or she is saying we'd like to know a little about you for our files we'd like to help you learn to help yourself look around you all you see are sympathetic eyes stroll around the grounds until you feel at home Mm -hmm. right and that could also maybe this is also a religious you know related institution yeah right as would be more common in the sort of 50s and 60s era, right? So maybe he even is like some sort of a priest slash minister slash whatever um, admitting Mrs. Robinson to this to this place. Mm-hmm. Um, is she there against her will? Is she there, you know, of her own volition? We don't know. But, Michael, your thoughts? I definitely get that it feels like she's being admitted somewhere or checking in to someplace but it also kind of feels like maybe it's like the welcoming committee in her new (laughs) hometown of stepford Mm -hmm. or something 
But that's that's what I was saying a little bit about the Big Brother thing, Michael. That's what that's kind of what I was getting at was a little interrogation, but also like, like listen, you just want to be in with the status quo. Like you should really just, you know, learn to assimilate here. Yeah, Mrs. Robinson. And there's something about the fact that this is from the late '60s, where that is very much a thing. Well, and I think that's also potentially related to the movie that this obviously is closely sure related to the land before time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rich, Rich will tell us later sort of the order in which things happened, whether this song yeah. was sort of written, you know, in direct response to the movie, whether it was written beforehand what, and, and was a convenient use for the movie. I don't it's know. It's very interesting. Okay. There's one big um, there's one big change that is very interesting to all this that I'm not going to say until the second part. Okay. All right. So, um they traveled back in time uh having <laughs> seen the movie. It right, has something so. to do with a sports almanac. But yeah, but I mean, so and and then again conformity and the need to break right. out of conformity. But then after you break out of conformity, you're still like, well, I don't know. I'm still not a person. I don't know what to do. Spoiler alert for the movie, The Graduate. Yeah. <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert, ennui. Um, but <laughs> now is a good time to turn the page and say, metaphorically, do we have any thoughts about what this song is attempting to communicate if it's not literally a story about a woman being checked into a mental hospital or invited to a creepy Stepford Wives style community. I thought you were going to say a creepy Stepford Wives screening. (laughs) That too. (laughs) They showed the movie, but it was real, real scary. Yeah. They ran out of coffee. So I think, I mean, we can get into it like it gets into it later too, but I, I think, you know, uh, part of it, I, I mean, I think it is that idea. I think metaphorically, it is about trying to figure out where you're at and finding your place and maybe being a step out of time, as we'll see sort of later on in the song. Um, it kind of harkens to the past, but like facing towards the future and not knowing where you where you fit. That kind of stuff, I think. The We'd like to know a little bit about you for your for our files, Mm -hmm. which I think you've sort of already touched on gives me just sort of the sense of like, like a modern mechanicalness Mm -hmm. to things, you know, like we need to know all this information so we can fill it into our file. So at which point you will become a number in our system, right? Right. We will not see you as a person again, whatever, whatever the situation is supposed to be, whether, you know, she's being admitted to some sort of mental hospital or whatever, you know, she'll, in some ways, symbolically, she'll be losing some of her humanity because all of her information will be written into a file that, you know, someone who doesn't know her can read and decide what's best for her. And send her personalized ads. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for products that she thinks she needs. Yeah. Or worse, uh, a product that she definitely bought three weeks ago on Google. I'm not I don't need another couch or whatever. Like I bought <laughs> yes. one. I'm not collecting couches. That's right. Let me no. just say that yeah. <laughs> right off the. I don't the, need it, multiple <laughs> coffee makers. <laughs> that, yes, Google. If I can tell you one thing, exactly. No, but this one's slightly better than club. the one that you just bought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not in the couch of the month club. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, if this February is just. I mean, it's good. I mean, <laughs> it's leather. 
Stick around for March. It's love seat month. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this is related, Rachel, to what you were saying, but I think there is something about somebody who's trying to break out of conformity Mm -hmm. and the people that are like trying to reel her back in. Right. In this. Well, and it's also that, again, it's that, that, sort of insidious thing you know like we'd like to help you learn to help yourself right um you are incapable of helping yourself right. so we need to teach you how to do that all look around you all you see are sympathetic eyes all we want to do is help you and again did she ask for help does she need that help we don't know are they actually sympathetic right exactly are or are they sympathetic right are they patronizing you know, or they could be sympathetic and still be doing the wrong thing. Right. Right. So, and that's where um, I think that's when I was saying somebody who's trying to break out of conformity, that's, that's where that sort of comes in for me. Like Mm -hmm. we're trying to help you. Like you've, you've stepped out of the norm. Right. So we're trying, we're trying to help you. We're trying to help. Exactly. We get it. We sympathize. Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. Um, and Miss Rabbit says, like, it's not a phase, mom. Okay, this, is, <laughs> this is who I am. All right. It's 1968, man. I'm going to listen to Jefferson Airplane. <laughs> hey, man, I listen to the Archies. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm feeling this crazy 60s thing. They're the best band you know? of all time. <laughs> um, stroll around the grounds until you feel at home. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. I mean, I also just, you know, throw out there, obviously, um, you know, religion is another way, right, of people, of keeping people in in line. So I think that's Mm -hmm. also part of it. Nobody get mad at me. I'm just, um, (laughs) these these are, you know, in in general, I'm saying, in general, not necessarily. Whatever your religion is, is is the one good one, and I'm not talking about you know there it's it's in general it's talking about like the norms about about right. sticking to the norms if you just pray hard enough there'll be a place for you in heaven The scene and the situation, at least to me, seems to shift. But tell me what you think. Hide it in a hiding place where no one ever goes. Put it in your pantry with your cupcakes. It's a little secret, just the Robinson's affair. Most of all, you've got to hide it from the kids. So I don't think it's that much of a leap because I think that she has told them some things that they already know. Because again, I think it's a little bit. I I, I always thought of it more big brothery. So mm-hmm. they already know things about her, and so she. They're saying, you know, these are the things that you know you're gonna you're gonna feel at home. You're going to be, um, step pretty, <laughs> and the things that are not this, you're going to right. hide away. You're going to keep it. It's going to be just between 
you know, you, only the Robinsons are going to know about this. You're going to stuff it all the way down <laughs> and <laughs> it's going to be your little secret. Right. And you're going to hide it from the kids. But is that you is that when they say hide it in a hiding place, put it in your pantry with your cupcakes, which I'm going to get back to this in one second, but I mean, do people have cupcakes at a pantry? We'll talk about that in a second. Hold on. Hold on to that. Hostess. <laughs> um, um, but if, is it, is it like physically something or it's like metaphorically secrets? That well, I think it's hiding. metaphorically secrets and um, physically mm. uh, like a weed stash probably. But <laughs> okay. No, I, no I, I always thought of it metaphorically. Well, I was because I was also again, and this is this was me on my. This is like a you know a priest or something is talking. My my conception was always that like they were giving her like money or like charity, right? Okay. Put it put it in a hiding place where no one ever goes. Be, being like, look, you're down, you're you're down on your luck. You need money, but you wouldn't want anyone else to know about that, right? You've come to me, a religious person, because I won't tell your secrets. But you need money to keep up appearances, right? I'm going to give you that money, but put it in a hiding place where no one ever goes. Most of all, you've got to hide it from the kids, right? That's you don't want them knowing. Because they're going to spend that- it on candy. <laughs> <laughs> and bad candy, too. Like that candy like that's attached Necco to wafers? paper. wafers? Come on. Necco wafers, yeah. The stuff where you're like chewing off the paper. I mean, kids, uh, if you're going to be spending, oh. we... <laughs> We need that money. If we're going to spend it on candy, spend it on something good. Let's spend it on dots. Jeez Louise. I'm sorry. Um, is this a sugar daddy? I'm spending my good money on sugar daddies? I don't think so. This one says good and plenty. So that's two for the price right. of one. So there you go. I mean, in some ways, I'd be stupid not to buy this. Yeah. But I mean, again, I, you know, and again, I, and then on top of that, I think this is also a metaphor, but it, it always felt like a thing of like, Here's a little, you know, here's a little bit of money, a little secret or whatever it is that we're, that we're giving you um, to keep up the appearances that you're perfectly normal, Mrs. Robinson, and you didn't have to go to a mental hospital or whatever. This is the little money we'll give you. You've got to hide it from the kids, um, et cetera. So that was always where I was, what I was thinking of. Interesting. I see it as very metaphorical. And again, mm-hmm. going back to the fact that this is 1968. The fact that she's known only as Mrs. Robinson, I think there's something so brilliant about the line, um, put in your pantry with your cupcakes. There's something so very like domestic about Mm -hmm. that, that in 1968, that would be like Mrs. Robinson's domain. That would be right. So it's if we're going with the thing of her like breaking out of the norm and and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, being like her own person, like having some sort of like progressive 1968 uh, thing, like the facade is is the cupcakes, is the pantry, whatever she's hiding, it's it's behind that norm that the rest of society yeah. understands. Well, I mean, I think, I mean. You know, not not to spoil the graduate for everyone, but mm-hmm. you know, again, she... <laughs> ennui ends with ennui. <laughs> but the uh, the you know, there's a central affair to it, and mm-hmm, the idea yeah. that Mrs. Robinson, the the I like the the thing that you're saying, Michael, about like the pantry and the cupcakes. That's sort of what you're supposed to be in the 1960s as a Mrs. Robinson 
is in the kitchen making cupcakes. You're not supposed to be seducing Dustin Hoffman Mm -hmm. and having an affair (laughs) with your, you know, daughter's boyfriend. I don't think that was what the 60s were about. But um, so I think there's like I think that's what it is. That's what she's hiding. You know, is this affair? In terms of the movie. In terms of the movie, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's right. like, and and again, there's so many things I want to say, but I I can't say them until the next <laughs> okay. part. Not to spoil the graduate for anybody, but mm-hmm. plastics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was say not to spoil the graduate for anyone, but he graduated. Um, <laughs> so that might you might have guessed that by the title of the film. Um, yeah, I mean, well, real quick. Michael, and, and you, you kind of went there, but what I kind of thought you were going to say was hide it in a hiding place where no one ever goes. So Mrs. Robinson, where's a place that only you would ever go? Obviously the pantry. Right. 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 You're the right, only right. person who's ever going to go in there, too, because who else would cook but you, the housewife, Mrs. Robinson, so no one else is right. going to even go in the pantry. So you can put anything in there you want. No one's ever going to know. Um, but yes, I think, Rachel, what I was going to say was I don't think the 60s are about um, middle-aged women having affairs with their uh, girlfriends, I mean their girlfriends, <laughs> their daughter's boyfriend, but what it was about potentially was admitting that that stuff was always happening. Correct. Right? That, you know, the, this this vision of a perfect 50s nuclear family was always a fantasy, right? And, yeah. th- and this stuff was always happening. So, um yeah, and I think the you know the word affair there maybe is a little more pointed mm-hmm. um, when you kind of know the context of the the film because obviously you know affair can mean a general thing that's happening, but also has a certain connotation um, in in this context. Right. So um, I also also want to pause here real quick to just I, I mean this is you know what an incredibly original thought you're having, Dan. Um, these are some <laughs> really good lyrics uh, <laughs> in this song. Paul, um, pretty good. In a way that I can't even verbalize, that's how good they are. Like, I can't really point out why. It's just, it just, it's like smooth butter on warm toast, man. It's just like, you're like, yup, every word is perfectly chosen. Right. Everything about this is just, you know, you wouldn't think you could get away with a cuckoo kachu, but somehow right here, (laughs) it's happening and it's, and it's perfect. I love it. I also want to say, I think that both you guys made a very good point separately. So I'm going to put them together. Dan, what you were saying about putting cupcakes in a pantry and Rachel, you said hostess cupcakes. I think mm-hmm. that's very of the time where it wasn't the 50s where she was just baking cupcakes. It was the 60s where it was like, well, everything's kind of prepackaged. I think that's also part of the theme of it. Now here's the part where things start to get a little bit more abstract um, as they will continue to do that for the rest of the song. (laughs) 
We are told, someone said, I don't know if we're told this or someone says it to her. But Wait, more abstract? Sit- is this not a song about cupcakes? <laughs> um, Michael's like, this is not the little Debbie theme. <laughs> um, <laughs> Debbie Robinson. So nobody likes Sarah Lee. Because nobody doesn't like. Nobody, <laughs> nobody doesn't, doesn't like, like. So Sarah everybody, Lee. Oh, so everybody like. Okay, everybody likes. Her. Okay, I got it. It just feels like there's an easier way to say that. That's all I'm going to say. Sarah Lee Company, it's my one note. I feel like it's, you could just make it 10, that, 10% less common. Somebody's <laughs> Italian all. uncle made up that jingle. <laughs> like, so nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Like, Can't you just say uh, everybody loves Sarah Lee? I said what I said. Write it down. <laughs> nobody doesn't Look, like I, it. I already printed up a million boxes, so you yeah, got to go. Come on, let's it, okay? go. What are you, Stunats? Let's go. Yeah, I printed them up and then they fall off the truck. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Now give me twenty. Now give me twenty pound cakes. <laughs> hey, I gotta get my beak wet. You know, come on. <laughs> Sitting on a sofa on a Sunday afternoon, going to the candidates' debate. Laugh about it. Shout about it. When you've got to choose, every way you look at this, you lose. Okay. Thoughts. I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this is about our political system. Okay. Call me crazy. <laughs> but it's the idea that you don't, I mean, I think it's it's the idea that, um, you know, you can, you can shake your fist at things in the system, uh, but it's, it doesn't matter because everybody's kind of on the losing side of this, <laughs> um, you know. Well, what is sitting on a sofa on a Sunday afternoon? What is that about? Uh, it's couch of the. You're waiting for your next couch for the couch of the month club. Okay, fair enough. All right, all right. So this is this is endorsing the couch of the month. Well, club. I I think the going to the candidates debate is. I think um, part of me is like it's not actually going to the candidates debate. You're. I always thought of it as like watching the candidates debate on the mm-hmm. on the TV. Okay, I feel like it's. One of those things where I don't know if they do this anymore, but like where they have like smaller, not like a big national debate, but like they have like when candidates do like those smaller events, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like a very like like a Stepfordy kind of like, oh, they're coming to this small town and somebody's hosting right. this event. And it reminds me there's there's a line in an early episode of Mad Men where uh, one of the neighbors is is you know going around the neighborhood and and campaigning for uh one of the candidates i, I think it was JFK um and uh what was Don Draper's wife's name Betty Draper Betty Betty yeah and Betty says to this neighbor oh we haven't decided who we're voting for yet it reminds me of that. The idea of like, you know, being, I don't know, to say like being involved in local politics is like a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. But in this case, like, it's just sort of a thing that like sort of doing it without really thinking about it, I guess, like, because you want to fit in with everyone else, mm-hmm. you know, you, 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 you agree with all the other, you know, moderate Republicans in your, in your little neighborhood. Right. Um, so laugh about it. Shout about it. Now, Here's a question I've always had. Laugh about it, shout about it when you've got to choose or laugh about it, shout about it, pause 
when you've got to choose every way you look at this, you lose. I think it's I was the never second sure. One. You think it's the second I one? I think so. Oh, I that's funny. I, I always thought it was the first one. Okay. Like you're laughing about it and shouting about it when you've got to choose. When you've got to choose. When you've got... To, so another way, way of saying it is... It, every way you look at this, you right. lose. But another way to say it is when you've got to choose, you laugh about it, you shout about it. Right. Right. So... Yeah. See, the yeah. laugh about it, shout about it seems like the debate where it's like... It seems like a very Stepford kind of... What a, what a debate would be like in Stepford where it's not really a debate. Everybody's sort of on the same page. We're just here for punch and oh. light cookies. It's more a social thing than like, oh, I really want to hear what the candidate has to say so I could make right. a, a well-informed decision. Or the candidate says the like, you know, says the unfunny joke, but does it in the cadence of a punchline so everyone laughs. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and then gets to the applause line and everyone knows. So they're not even listening, but they're just like, this is clearly the part where we're supposed to applaud. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when you've got to choose, everywhere you look at this, you lose. Um, now, if this is someone still talking to Mrs. Robinson, um, they're, they're really kind of floating off into the ether here uh, because they're, they're getting nostalgic. And who could blame them? I mean, one of the best, right? The goat, I think we can say. Mm -hmm. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Our, na our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Woo, woo, woo. Now, again, this obviously is some sort of metaphorical thing, but this is the one and only time Mrs. Robinson herself is acknowledged, even right. if she doesn't speak, because then he says, what's that you say, Mrs. Robinson? <laughs> Jolton Joe has left and gone away. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Well, in 1968, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? The answer is to sell Mr. Coffee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. He's doing commercials for Mr. Coffee. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously there's a nostalgia here, right? Right. I think it's a question of like, are, are, we, are we actually saying, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Or are we metaphorically talking about the corruptive and codifying nature of nostalgia of saying like, man, wasn't everything better 15 years ago from the current moment <laughs> we are in whatever right. the current moment happens to be. Um, so, I mean, that's what I always sort of took it as was that not actually being like, man, Joel and Joe is great, which not that the, I'm sure Paul Simon believes that, but the thought of like, you know, remember when everything was great, which again is the like, Nothing. It was never. It was. It was never that. Well, because back. Because back when Joe DiMaggio was playing, people were like, "Remember Babe Ruth? Man, things are great back then." Like it's always. Fifteen years ago was always better than right now. And when Babe Ruth was playing, they were like, "Remember Honus Wagner?" And when Honus Wagner sure. was playing, they were like, "Remember when there wasn't baseball?" <laughs> they were like, "Remember that was better." Remember when we just <laughs> yeah. rolled a ball to each other. Remember when this was just an empty field with a diamond in it, <laughs> and we didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> Remember that's all. Remember that's all corn. <laughs> remember, remember that time Steve was like, "Hey, if you throw that rock, I bet I can hit with that stick." Remember that? And then we were like, "Let's start a game." <laughs> those were the Let's days. Um, uh, those the and they were like, "Steve, why are you running around in circles? It's just what you do." <laughs> just figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> oh, I got stung by a bee, but we didn't know that. We thought he was inventing <laughs> a game, and then we just started throwing that rock at him, <laughs> trying to get that bee off. 
So hey, this one time, this Steve came along and I hated him, so I threw a rock at him. But he had a stick in his hand and he knocked it right back at me. Then a beast stung him. Anyway, that's baseball. <laughs> anyway, Honus Wagner. Next, next thing you know, he's hitting over 500. It's crazy. He had an OBS plus of one. It was 1.3. It was incredible. This guy was out of control. Um, so I think kind of similar to what you're saying, Dan, I think it is a longing for heroes. Mm-hmm. Joe DiMaggio mm-hmm. is this sort of heroic figure, you know, baseball Back then, in general, they were like these heroic figures, and I think that's what it is about. I think it's a it's a bit of a commentary on in 1968, like where are the heroes that we used to have? Those sort of simple heroes, right? But that's the thing about Joe DiMaggio is that he was not simple, right? I mean, he was in his baseball career, but I mean, he was married to Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> like right. you know, it was not he was not a like non controversial figure. You know what I mean? Right, but. Nobody cared about that. I mean, they did, but but what I'm saying is, like, the people who thought of him as a hero did not care about that. It probably made him right. even more of a hero to them. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm just saying he's not like. Um, is Paul Simon saying to us? It was great when Joe DiMaggio was playing. Everything was great mm-hmm. back then. Or is he saying it's bad to think that way? Is what right, I'm trying right, right. to ask. I got you. I got you. Is he saying like, you know, that's what we've evoked this before, sort of this sort of stepward wives mentality of always saying 15 to 20 years ago was better. And we just have to get back to this mythical place that never actually existed. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm, I don't know. I, that's why I'm sort of, that's why I'm asking. Mm-hmm. The other question I have is, here's my other second question, is uh, here's my quick, just real quick, and this, this is going to be fast, impression of Mrs. Robinson at this point. I'm sorry, what, 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 what are we talking about? Joe DiMaggio? Were we, were I, was I supposed to stroll around the grounds? Were you going to give me something? I don't know. I lost, I'm going to be honest with you, sir. I lost the plot. <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> happening. We're talking about, I mean, I loved him. I wasn't a really a big baseball person, but I, you know, I, I liked, I liked, sure. I, I, loved, I, I loved, haven't seen him in a while, so he must have. Uh, yeah. Did he retire? I don't know. Is he, is he still playing? <laughs> Did he still play, still play? Yeah. Um, this is more of a love seat than a sofa, by the way. Um, sure. <laughs> I don't want to. I mean, there's a new one coming next month, so we could always swap it out. It's fine. I don't want to hairs, but. Yeah. Anyway. You know, I'm just going to, if you're looking out the window thinking about the Yankee Clipper, I'm just going to sneak out the back if that's, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to, I'll just go, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I think. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I've got a bus to um, catch. I, apparently it's also election day, so I guess I should go vote or something. I'm not really sure, but um, I haven't researched the candidates. Yeah, you can keep those well. cupcakes. So, um, <laughs> do you think Mrs. Robinson was, oh, I'm sorry, Jolton Joe has gone away. Like, and he's like, oh, what, what was that? What'd you say? <laughs> Jolton Joe has gone away, huh? Well, it's, uh, you know, when you finally speak, Mrs. Robinson, you sure do say something. I'll give you that. <laughs> All right. Well, she was looking through her own files and she was like, well, I've got a, a 1968 Yankees yearbook <laughs> here. And it turns out Jolton Joe has left and gone away. Mm-hmm. And then they right. say, well, I. I guess that'll be all, Mrs. Robinson. You're free to go now. Uh, <laughs> Somebody get me Joe DiMaggio on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. According to this rookie baseball card I have of him um, that I'm going to throw away the minute I'm done reading <laughs> it. So let me ask you, I'm going to ask you one question before we finish up here. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but Rachel, let's start with you. Uh-oh. Overall, symbolically, Rachel, what's this song about? How dare you? <laughs> I mean, I think it is about um, a, conform- uh, a conformity to a time and okay. anything that goes against that to hide it away. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. it's the fighting between times, basically. All right. I like that. Michael, your thoughts? I agree. I think it's about conformity versus, I don't want to say rebellion, but somebody it's trying to step. It. I don't want to say, say rebellion. It. No, I don't. I don't want to mm-hmm. say it. I just said say I don't want to say it. I don't, say I don't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's about somebody who's trying to step away from the norms and to be their own person and about everything surrounding her, telling her that she shouldn't be that be herself. And, and in doing that, it's almost as if there's something wrong with her. Mm-hmm. The fact that, right. <laughs> that we'd like to know a little bit about you for our file. Like it's, there's something clinical about it where there doesn't right. really need to be. So I think it's, I think it's reflective of its time and um yeah so i i i think it's that i think it's it's breaking out of norms okay or right. socially accepted norms to be one's self yeah i agree i mean i think each piece is sort of a symbolically a way of controlling people the religion aspect the like you know what feels like checking into a mental hospital or something like that the you know the domestic nature of hide it in your pantry, you know, stay in the kitchen. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm saying that's, you know, uh, sort of what's, what's people are told the political thing of you're sort of given a false choice Mm -hmm. potentially. Right. Um, so even, even the choices you can make are not really your own. They're, they're sort of chosen for you. Yeah, um, it doesn't make pick, a difference. You can pick A or B, but it's whatever door you open, you're going to come right back to the same place. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then finally, just the fact the Yankees have not been the same since. Uh, <laughs> since Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, and I think this is also left. a very early fantasy baseball. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's like, I will it's take like, uh, uh, Joe DiMaggio. And she's like, Jolton Joe has left and gone away. It's like, I don't care. This is fantasy baseball. He ha- he retired 10 years ago, sir. I'm, so- I'm so sorry. You're not allowed to take him. Uh, all right. Let's do Expanded Universe. What have we got? Expanded Universe. I mean, I feel like. Towards the end of this, Mrs. Robinson is thinking of getting a D-I-V-O-R-C-E. <laughs> mm. Towards the end, I mean, that could have been that could have been what started this whole That's thing. That's true. It could be. Well, you know what they're really thinking about a lot in this? They were thinking about how those were the days. <laughs> the guy who's talking to her is like, those were the days, my those, friend. We thought they'd the never end. And, and Mrs. Robinson's just like, no, they they really weren't. 
And he's like, no, they were. And he starts like singing. Yeah. Everybody just starts joining in with him. So let me give you a little scenario. Joe DiMaggio is at home. Knock, knock, knock on the door. He opens the door and standing there is the person who is talking in this song. And what they say after Joel and Joe opens the door is, how am I supposed to live without you? <laughs> <laughs> when I've been loving you so long, <laughs> tell me how am I supposed oh, to live man. without you? A nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Yep. A woo, woo, woo. I got another one for you. Okay. All right. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. So, I mean, I would say Mrs. Robinson's living on a prayer mm-hmm. right there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And they're, they're saying, what, what is up with Mrs. Robinson? All she wants to do is dance. <laughs> and here in Stepford, we're not allowed to dance. That's right. <laughs> no, this is a little bit Stepford. This is a little bit Footloose. But I don't remember the name of the town from Footloose. So we'll just call it Stepford. <laughs> That's what they said. That was their yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah. They yep. didn't remember mm-hmm. the name of the town from Footloose. Anything else? Mm-mm. It's okay. There's not a ton in this. I mean, there's metaphor. I, again, the lyrics are great. The metaphor is great. It's not, you know, not a ton happens in this song. I was just trying to see if we. <laughs> and yet here we are an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> well, strange. That's what we do. I mean, come on. You know. Um, Maybe this all, all started right. when Mrs. Robinson trapped some guy in a radio. Oh, Lord. Well. <laughs> cut it. Just cut Cut it out. <laughs> oh, you think it's Angie Robinson? Is that what you're thinking? Could be. Could be. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, Mrs. Robinson um, is a fine girl. <laughs> it's it's her party. Okay. She'll okay. Cry if she wants to. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the history of this song with story behind the story. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All 
right, we're back. It's time for a story behind the story. How did this story come to be? And I feel like in the first segment, there was a high level of just wait to the second segment mm -hmm. uh, going on. So I'm very excited to find out all the stuff we weren't <laughs> allowed to talk about in the first segment. Yeah, the expectations are high. I may have overplayed it. Before we jump into that, Michael informed us there was something uh, he wanted to get off his chest. So, Michael, please, the floor is yours. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, during the break, while everyone was listening to a very brief but very important message from our sponsors, I was thinking, in terms of Expanded Universe, one thing that we didn't say, and maybe this is just something new for our summer of symbolism, uh -huh. maybe all the symbolic songs are somehow linked together. So, in... Mrs. Robinson, Rachel, what, what's the line where... Uh, Stroll around the grounds until you feel at home? Yeah. Is she checking into the Hotel California? Oh, oh, my goodness, Michael. Well done. See? I like that. Worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always so happy when I say something that I know won't get cut out. So this is like, you're, you're, you're implying the existence of a smaller universe. Mm-hmm. Inside of the larger expanding universe, this is like the dreamscape. <laughs> this is the 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 land of symbolism where things don't have to logically fit together, which right. would make that segment a lot easier. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, you could just make up a bunch of stuff. Would be great. We've uh, we've tried so hard to make all that make total sense. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say, as opposed yeah. to the you know logical uh, rigor we normally bring sure. to that segment. <laughs> You know what this is? This is, there's a tunnel on the edge of the story mm -hmm. song expanded universe that leads mm -hmm. to like the Toontown yep. of that little city. Sure. And uh, that's where Symbolismville USA mm -hmm. exists. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'm sure the Eagles and Simon and Garfunkel would be very excited to know their songs live in Toontown. <laughs> <laughs> Man. I still got it, Eddie. <laughs> Rachel, mm -hmm. please tell us the story behind this story song. Okay. Mrs. Robinson was written by Paul Simon and, of course, recorded by Simon and Garfunkel. It was released. Okay. Here's the thing. It was released as a single April 5th, 1968. Okay. It was a billboard hit. It hit hot, the number one on the Hot 100 number four on e Easy Listening, number one on Cashbox, and it hit number nine on the year-end charts. It also charted all over the place, uh, specifically Canada, it hit number one, and the UK, it hit number four. It was off of their fourth studio album, Bookends, and though, like I said, it was released as a single, as a full single in 1968, it was written originally specifically for the 1967 film The Graduate directed by Mike Nichols, name drop, my old teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and let's bring him out, Mike. Uh, that would be weird. Um, so, <laughs> but wonderful man, amazing, the legendary director and comedian, Mike Nichols, mm -hmm. who directed the- You're not, you don't have to kiss, you don't have to kiss up anymore. You're not in his class. I know, I know. So the story goes basically that Mike Nichols was kind of enamored with Simon and Garfunkel's music up until that point. And he spoke to Clive Davis, who was working with um, Columbia at the time. Right. Is that right? 
uh, about licensing their music for use in the film. So Davis loved the idea because I feel like that's a Clive Davis thing. Like, yeah, license this puppy out. But Paul Simon, not so much. He thought it was basically selling out. But in the end, after meeting with Mike Nichols and being impressed with him, his wit and the script, he decided that he he would offer to write a few songs for the movie. So have have original songs for it instead of songs that they had already recorded. He goes in and he pitches two different songs to Mike Nichols for the film. One is one, one was Baby Got Back. Right. And the yes. other and the other one was, was Mrs. Robinson. My milkshake. <laughs> it's all uh, it was Punky's Dilemma and wow. a song called Overs. Mike wow. Nichols rejected both of them. He was like, I'm going to go write a 80 sitcom about that first one. And you're going to be sorry. <laughs> that's that's friend. right. That's right. Come with me, my friend Brewster. Oh, wait a minute. It's <laughs> a good name. Anyway, they were they were playing around working and like working with ideas. And after a break, they came back and there's a little bit of who did what and who decided it was a good idea type situations. But according to Art Garfunkel, um, he said. Because of the uh, character in the picture, we just began using the name Mrs. Robinson to fit. One day we're sitting around with Mike Nichols talking about ideas for another song. And I said, what about Mrs. Robinson? And Mike shot up and said, you have a song called Mrs. Robinson. You haven't even shown it to me. So the thing is, they didn't really have a song, Mrs. Robinson. They were playing around with a song, but it was originally kind of called Mrs. Roosevelt after Eleanor Mm. Roosevelt. Okay. And according to Simon... Simon, not Simon and Garfunkel, not his, not his name. That's not his name. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it's a song about times past, Mrs. Roosevelt, Joe DiMaggio and stuff, but it wasn't finished. It was basically, he had the chorus that was, um, here's mm-hmm. to you, Mrs. Roosevelt. But so they were playing around with the chorus and they were just kind of singing through and they, as they were sort of playing around with it, they sang through the verse with a doot, 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 which is why we have that. Mike Nichols loved it anyway. He was like, yeah, let's, let's use it. So that was, um, that's sort of how, how it came to be. And according to, uh, he, he did an interview about it with Dick Cavett and basically he spoke about it as kind of stream of consciousness when it comes to the verses because Dick Cavett kind of asked why, where does Joe DiMaggio come into it? And he basically said it was stream of consciousness. It popped into my head. Where have you gone? Joe DiMaggio. And so that's where, that's where all that came to be. So they had the chorus kind of set up and in a way, everything else was a little bit stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's interesting, Simon, Paul Simon is a big Yankees fan, but he was a bigger Man- Mickey Mantle fan than a Joe DiMaggio fan. And once he was asked again by Dick Cavett why he didn't use Mickey Mantle, and apparently Simon said, it's about <laughs> syllables, Dick. It's about how many beats there are. Dick Cavett had a lot of problems with this song. I tell you. I mean, if, if somebody is asked a question in the 1960s, mm-hmm. Dick Cavett's asking the question. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. There's going to be a lot of that. 
I'm just imagining Dick Cavett like pulling out the baseball perspectives and being like, can you look at Mantle's on base percentage? Just look at <laughs> right. it. Right. Simon, don't look away from me. Look at it. <laughs> yeah. How dare you use DiMaggio? Yeah. Throws the book. That's right. Get out of here. Come on. Anyway, who's your favorite Yankee, Gloria Swanson? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. But here's the thing. Simon, uh, Paul Simon just can't win with the Yankees because apparently he later met Joe DiMaggio, who didn't quite understand why he used the line, yeah. why had he left and gone away? He said, I just did a Mr. Coffee commercial. <laughs> I'm a spokesman for Bowery Savings Bank. I haven't gone anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> that, like, that, I'm I, right here, Paul. You're talking to me. Not one for symbolism, Joe well, DiMaggio. I, I heard another story. I don't know if it was related to this, but like, you know, Somebody asked Joe DiMaggio about it, and he's like, don't they understand? I just can't play anymore, you know, and my my knees. And it's like, first of all, no one was, like, genuinely asking you to play bass. Like, you want to be like, what an idiot, you know what I mean? But on the other hand, you can also fully understand. It must be weird, especially for a guy Joe DiMaggio, to be like, no, no, Joe, you don't understand. You represent the American character. Do you get it now? It's a lot, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Like, Buddy, come on. You, that's that's your deal. It's just, again, it would just be weird to be like, what? What are you talking about? I hit a ball and, like, yeah. run around. Like, what do you yes. mean? Like, I don't, I'm not, like, you know. Yeah. What I don't know, I, Abe Lincoln yeah, or something. What am I but the symbolism for. But the funny right. thing is, is yes, the line, of course, was not about him actually going away, but it was the idea of him as a hero going away. So right. Simon basically said that it was a tribute to his unpretentious and modest, heroic nature. And so modest, in fact, that he was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and in a way, we kind of got everything that we said in all the things I've read. All the things that we said about this song, most everybody else has said. And we kind of get it right. We're all in the same boat about what We're it is. We're kind of hacks that way. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But we kind of got it right. To paraphrase, Simon said at the time, um, at, at the time in the late 60s, there were times of presidential transgressions, public apologies, airing of laundry and like sexual you know, misconduct and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in that time, he mourned Joe DiMaggio's grace, dignity, and privacy, and what he called the power of his silence, which, I mean, come on. You know, yeah. sound of silence is what I'm saying. Yep. Gotcha. Um, I just wanted to, I mean, I'm just so glad that we're past those times. I know, right? Yeah. I'm so we glad we got any through. of that sort of stuff going yeah. on anymore. Yeah. At the time, yeah. Joe DiMaggio purposely did not have a TikTok account. Yeah, yeah that's smart of him. Yeah, he, he stayed off social that. media, which yeah. I was like, "Good for you, Joe. Good for you." It's like I everybody mean, was, else is posting everything on Instagram. You know what? I'm not going to maybe right. maybe the occasional dessert. Right. Sure. If I have a, a yeah. really good dinner, I'll post a picture yeah. of that. But otherwise, nothing. If the lighting is good in the restaurant, but yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it. That's it. Right. Like if he's on vacation, but not for like a normal. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Not for like a normal thing. No. You know what I mean? And if he saw a dog in the park. But yeah, other yeah. than that. That's it. That was the he's, only time. It's few and far between, you know, that, that Joe yeah, DiMaggio yeah. is posting on social media. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> and I mean, every time he got like a double, he would post. Right. From just, oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, as he's running Yankee's life. Yeah. As he's running the bases. <laughs> Just Joe DiMaggio, yeah, Joe DiMaggio doing a duck face with two fingers up. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag double life. <laughs> 
Um, that's how we met Marilyn Monroe. She slipped into his DMs. That's right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's the rest right. is history. That's right. So this is going to take a turn because so- Paul Simon later <laughs> oh, no. played the song at a memorial after Joe DiMaggio's death wow. at Yankee Stadium. He didn't die at Yankee Stadium. The memorial was at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Gone off oh the my rails. God. Well, the problem is he had he had tried to come back and play in his seventies because he was so he was so upset that people kept asking where he was and unfortunately yeah, and they were like, took a line drive took it. a line drive directly to the face and um, right. you know, thankfully thankfully was Simon tough. was there to to pay to uh, pay his respects as they buried him at third base. <laughs> I'm very glad that you brought that up because I I was wondering if you would so in preparing for this episode i looked for that clip i wanted to watch it right. i'd seen it before but i had only seen for some reason or another clips of it mm-hmm. just the joe dimaggio part of the song so in my mind at the joe dimaggio tribute they brought paul simon out he <laughs> sang two lines and he walked away right it turns out he yeah. actually sang i don't know if he sang the full song i mean the 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 focus was on the Joe DiMaggio line, obviously. Yeah. He left he out, sang, I think, the second verse. Yeah, he sang a good amount of the song because for a very long time, I thought they made this poor guy take the four train all the way up to 161st Street <laughs> carrying a guitar case to sing two lines and walk off uh, walk off the field. I mean, yeah. come on! <laughs> it's like just anything like sort of tangentially related to Joe DiMaggio. Just like bring him bring him out here. Yeah, two seconds. That's right. Right after, right after Paul Simon sang two lines, they brought out Madonna. She was like Greta Garbo, and Monroe, Dietrich, and DiMaggio. Good night, and then they started. Good the night, game. thank you. Yep. Yeah, they brought out a Mr. Coffee machine and just <laughs> plotted it for a little bit. They just put it on the pitcher's mound, single spotlight. That's right. And then they went to commercial. <laughs> and late, and now, ladies and gentlemen, ninety-seven minutes with Billy Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Man. The first time I saw DiMaggio. Yeah, we know. We get it. We get it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're a Yankees fan. It. You're we from know. New York. We, we get it, Billy. We get we, it. We, we've heard, we've heard okay. it. We've heard it before. Okay. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Uh-huh. So. I just want to talk about baseball. Wait. Okay. <laughs> so. And the remember, Oscars. Yeah, exactly. Remember in, the, remember in the beginning when I said that they were going to make original songs for the movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. He, they didn't. Uh, it got, <laughs> apparently it just took a lot out of Simon and Garfunkel, and so they instead there are other songs of theirs that are that are on the Graduate soundtrack. The use of music in the Graduate is really remarkable. It sets the mood so much and says so much about the story, uh, and it and it aligns so well with Mike Nichols directing, um, and their music specifically. I think works so well with it. And with the time and with the story and where they were in their careers and sort of what the idea of the movie is about, it all sort of mm-hmm. meshed really together. And I thought that it was a really nice touch that they wrote the original song, Pomp and Circumstance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that really highlighted the yeah. graduation. Yeah, that's their biggest element hit. of the movie. Yeah. 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 Played every <laughs> Well, they June. played. Yeah. yeah. All over the world. They did write one original song for it. It was uh, Please Don't Let This Feeling End theme from Ice Castles. And they were like, this is probably better for Ice Castles. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They didn't write that song. 
Thank you, Michael. But it's a very good song, and it's from the movie Ice Castle. It is. So the movie was a huge hit, and so was the song. But like I said, the song as a as a single was released in in 1968. The version for the song, the version for the movie, is shorter. So they really only recorded the full single version after the movie. Mm-hmm. But once they did, huge hit. Like I said, it hit number one on the U.S. charts, Canada charts, and it was certified platinum in U.K. and gold in the U.S. The song won two Grammy Awards, and it was the first rock song to win record of the year at the Grammys, which I didn't in know. In 1968. In 1968. A rock song had not yet won record of the year. Well, but it was also only the 11th Grammys, so... Oh, yeah. I always forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always said the Grammys have been around for like hundreds of years. That's what I said. I was like, wow, the first one. And you're like, oh, it was a decade prior. So okay. right, right. they they were just breaking it out. And the that first decade was just, you know, dominated by Bossa Nova Records. So right. it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, to yeah. Get in there. yeah. Yeah. I mean, originally it was called the Bossa Nova annual awards and then That's, they kind of yeah they changed yeah they changed it a little bit and they became kind of broaden the scope of it a little bit right but. and that's what inspired the song blame it on the bossa nova mm-hmm. that's true and then Man. what happened was they were like you know what we got to go past bossa nova we've got to expand more and we've just got to make everything really specific now <laughs> and break it down to its minutia little right. parts so that mm-hmm. nothing makes sense <laughs> this song also or they also won best contemporary <laughs> pop performance vocal duo or group speaking of too many words in an award the song i i could not figure this out but apparently the song was ineligible for the academy award because it had for a song to be up for an academy award for best original song it had to have been mm. written exclusively for the film in which it appears yes correct so I think maybe is it is it because they then is it because this I could not figure it out. Is it because the single itself was not recorded? It was recorded after the film. So it wasn't like a full song. But the song is in there, though. But I think also I mean, it also might be because they that it was but they didn't record it prior. I don't know. If it had, I could have done more research, but here we are. No, that's fine. Let's <laughs> let's speculate wildly. Yeah, that's what the audience. No, if if it had existed us. in some form or another, it might be ineligible. I mean, the Academy Awards has a bunch of rules. Like if it if it plays too late in the movie, it's not eligible. Like if it it has to be in a certain part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like if it's just over the credits or something, I feel like it's ineligible. So if it existed, I know like just one example is uh, maybe this time from Cabaret Mm -hmm. was a song that Kander and Ebb had written years prior and had put into the movie. And they were a song that clearly would have been an Academy Award nominee was not nominated because it existed in a prior form somewhere else. So maybe the fact that it was... About Eleanor Roosevelt or something. I don't know, but they didn't. But, but like they didn't record it prior to that. It was just the I, chorus. It's so yeah, weird. Yeah. I was imagining the Oscars doing this like intense investigation, <laughs> like interviewing people. So you're telling me this song? 
There was no private. What was that, Mrs. Roosevelt? There, you had a chorus. Well, then forget it. Uh, Cross this off. How dare you? Three syllables. It checks out. <laughs> the story I heard was that Eleanor Roosevelt started a letter writing campaign <laughs> mm. to be like, this song's about me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And now they change it to some fictional character. She was not having it. She was livid. Um, I didn't realize if it played too late. This that explains no why. This explains why "Do What They Want to Do" open parentheses the Adams Groove close parentheses <laughs> was did not win the I Oscar that so. year because it it only plays over the ending the credits, closing right? credits of the Adams Family too. Adams Family uh, Values. Yeah, Thank it's called you. Adams Family, Family values. values. That's right. Yeah, I think that's that's the exclusive reason that that song did not. What other reason could it possibly be that it didn't win the Oscar that year? I can't. No, no. I literally can't <laughs> think of a single other reason why. <sighs> Who knows? I will say they do what they want to do, say what they want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're the Adams family. Mm-hmm. Live how they want to play how they want to play. Exactly. It's true. So, some. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the fact that there's a little bit of too legit to quit in the middle of the chorus is like, <laughs> nope, this this existed previously. That's actually a good point. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So the song has been covered an insane amount of times. I think something like 289 times on um, secondhand songs. And some people, just some of the people who recorded it are Ray Conniff and the Singers. Frank nice. Sinatra, mm-hmm. Louis Prima, Bon Jovi, and the Lemonheads in 1993, I think. The Lemonheads version yeah. of this song mm-hmm. is so impossibly good. And I say impossibly because you would not imagine that a Lemonheads cover of a <laughs> classic song like this would right. be good. It is so good it is so good it's it's just like perfect it's like everything every decision they made doing that cover was the wrong one and yet somehow it added up to being a perfect cover we'd like to know a little bit about you for our files we'd like to help you learn to help yourself look around you i see our sympathetic eyes Well, and you know what it it lends itself to, Daniel? Mm -hmm. Being in films. Because that version alone has been featured in Wayne's World 2, American Pie 2, Mm -hmm. other sequels as well. No, uh, The Other Sister and Wolf of Wall Street. Two. Two. Keep wolfing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, Well, I think Wayne's World 2, that that has a... uh, Graduate Perry, Correct. does it not? Yes. So that would yeah, make yeah, sense. Yeah. So okay. that's why. But I mean, I think I, I'm going to go ahead and guess that each one of these, someone is running in each one of these, you know, yeah, in, in, when it's when it's played. Oh, I should say, I didn't mention this. Um, something interesting that Paul Simon said about how he was recording it was, or how he was writing it is originally it actually was supposed to take place. It was supposed to be a chase scene. 
which is why it has the like da 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 guitar part is is sort of that's why it has that part to it or has that feel mm. to it, which is I think was interesting. Um, Rachel, this could be because you started with the Raycon of singers, mm-hmm. but when <laughs> who are awesome when you said the Lemonheads, I thought you were saying the Lennon sisters. And I would love to hear the Lennon sisters version <laughs> of this song. I mean, is there a chance that they sang it? On like a maybe. Lawrence Welk Christmas special, maybe. Oh, yeah. Michael. I will volunteer to do that research. So many people recorded. Th- I mean, I didn't even mention other famous people who have recorded this. It's just so many people. It's a drop in the bucket that I mentioned, and it doesn't even count all of the instrumental versions that are out there. I mean, <laughs> it's insanity. It's crazy. So the song is is great and is very um, has has stuck around in pop culture. I'm sure the Frank Sinatra version is very good and respectful, but I do want to imagine him just being like, here's to you, Mrs. Robinson, you cuckoo chick. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit like that. Apparently, I think it is. Yeah, and apparently he, he uses, instead of saying Jesus, he says Jilly or somebody. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, old Jesus <laughs> loves you more. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little, uh, a little jivey. Jilly? What was he? Yeah. He didn't. He didn't want to say Jesus. I mean, it's not like it's disrespectful. Something or about whatever. no. It's something about um, uh, radio play. Whatever. I don't. Okay. Know. I don't know. What do you want from me? I don't so, know. So, I am going to talk briefly about Simon and Garfunkel, and I'm mm. going to talk only about Simon and Garfunkel. I'm not talking about okay. them separately. I'm talking about them together. Okay. And I am going to end my conversation about them <laughs> abruptly. <laughs> Rachel, can I be honest with you? Because they just keep going. Yeah, you seem mad at us. We're, we're not forcing you. <laughs> you could do whatever you want. Oh, listen, this assignment better get me an A. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not doing extra work. I brought this diorama in, but aside from that, right. I'm not doing anything else. It's a diorama of Central Park in 1982. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. Paul Simon and it's just Art- green construction paper in a stage. That's, yeah, that seems that's like right. a cop out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I'll do the Diana Ross uh, concert and <laughs> spray some water on it. Okay. <laughs> now it's ruined. Are you happy? That is so specific. So Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel met as little kids in Queens, New York, when they both mm-hmm. um, performed in a sixth grade adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. So they could have been stage greats. Who did, who did they, who did each one play? I'd love to think that they played Tweedledee and Tweedledum, but I don't know. Okay. So I just think Garfunkel's too tall for that though. I was thinking he would be like the, the smoking uh, caterpillar caterpillar or whatever. I think they were the caterpillar and Alice. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, they were still so they were in elementary school when they got together and they learned how to write songs and they also learned that they could harmonize with each other and even put together a little corner doo-wop group with friends called the Peptones. This was in uh 1955-56. Mm-hmm. So they had their great little group 
of friends, the Peptones, who I, I bet were just adorable. And they went to Forest Hills High School. They they went ahead and graduated from elementary school and had their moving up <laughs> ceremony to Forest Hills they High did. School. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Rachel's like, I'm going to go this real quick. Anyway, they graduated from <laughs> elementary school. <laughs> I'm so glad that you specified because I otherwise I would think that the Peptones were still together. <laughs> Still performing in that elementary school. It's it's weird to be like, and because they're performing in elementary school. If not, I would just said, and then they went to high school, but they were performing. I don't. No, I mean, your Paul Simon never graduated. He every when he was on tour, he had to run home and do his sixth grade homework. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he just Um, never got there because he had not yet graduated. Never got there. So anyway, in Forest Hills High School, they started performing as Tom and Jerry as a duo and they wrote their first song the girl for me throughout high school they continued writing songs and at age 15 they went to a local studio and recorded a song hey schoolgirl which uh i think was i want to say was based on an everly brothers song but anyway they went and they recorded it they spent like 25 bucks to record this uh this song at a Rec- at a recording studio in Manhattan, and there twenty five were- bucks in those days. Can you imagine? Not it's not cheap. And there they were overheard by a promoter, Sid Prosen or Prosen, who signed them to his independent label. Yeah, they were fifteen. You guys, fifteen. So yeah. at this time, they got their first radio play by good old Alan Freed and the Payola System. Oh no! When Prosen Pro- paid. 200 bucks for Hey School Girl to go out on AM radio. And guess now what? That's it more than $25. That's more than $25. But guess what? It worked. The song hit Billboard at number 49 and got them on American Bandstand. All right. Yeah. But things kind of fizzled because they were in, you know, in uh, high school. So they didn't, that Tom and Jerry didn't do much after that. So after graduation, they, yeah. The folk duo did not. The cartoon, they did great. They did plenty. They did plenty. They did really great. Really, really great, actually. Yeah. Um, So they they graduated from high school. This time they actually graduated. (laughs) And they both went. Please, please. Take us step by step through their entire <laughs> school career. But it's all part just of it. Just confirm. I just want to confirm that they moved on to the next level. I just want to know they graduated. I hate you both. So. Who, uh, who was the speaker at their graduation Yeah, who was the commencement speaker? I hate you both. Uh, but serious question. Yeah. Did they go to the big party? Uh, the big graduation party? Oh, that yeah. That totally. That totally got out of control. Oh, of course they did. Of course. But they then did. they both ended up they 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 were humiliated by the jocks, but then they ended up kissing their first girls. That's right. Yeah, it was beautiful. Nice, nice. So in so in 1958, they graduate and they go ahead and continue their education. They they mm-hmm. they they decided to go to college. So okay. they both stayed in New York. Paul Simon went to Queens College, and Garfunkel went to Columbia. That's where the Ghostbusters were fun. Columbia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Columbia. Was uh, Art Garfunkel uh, a Ghostbuster? He was, he was Slimer. You know. <laughs> In 
in an uncredited so, role. <laughs> so, <laughs> so while they were in college, um, mm-hmm. Simon actually started uh, writing, continued writing, and actually released a solo single, which hmm. really upset Art Garfunkel. He thought yeah. it was a bit of a betrayal, and apparently it this tension would keep popping up throughout their relationship and career together. I want to say just one thing, and I promise we the last tangent. No, I'm not. That's not true. No. But this will be a quick tangent. I so respect Simon and Garfunkel, who are 100% on front street at all times about how much they hate each other. <laughs> like, there has never been a moment where they're not like, by the way, I hate they just <laughs> that guy. They just can't get it together. It's But you would think crazy. they would at least be diplomatic. Like, they'll be doing shows together and literally be like, all right, well, you know, I hope everyone comes down to Central Park and have a great show. By the way, I hate our Garfunkel. All right, see you, yeah, don't see you at the show. Bye, everybody. Bye. No, no, no. I mean, we're going to sing great, and everything's going to be great, but I cannot stand that tall freak who looks like a shaved <laughs> big bird. I want to be very clear on that. Oh man, it's. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with, as as a lot of these things do, they it has to do, I think a bit with ownership of the work, who's writing stuff and who's oh of course got the lead vo- vocals and so on and so forth. But I'm just saying the entertainment industry is filled with people who secretly hate each other. Yeah, I just love they have never for a second made it a secret. Right, right. <laughs> true, how much true. they cannot stand yeah. each other's guts. Yeah, that's right. So I'd like to think that it starts with some sort of stupid argument that happened in elementary school. <laughs> I think it did. I mean, it happened with it, something in college, for God's sake. Right, right. I think that was the beginning of it. This is, their career hadn't even started I yet. I don't think he ever <laughs> and got they were over already that. feuding. But at that point, that was an argument over the music. That was an argument right. over like their careers. <laughs> I think that it was what? something like... I told you I wanted like to be Garf the Like Garfunkel didn't pick Simon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> for his dodgeball team or something right in like fourth grade it's a real Hatfield and McCoy situation he's like I said I said I would split my ding dongs with you and then Mm -hmm. you did not give me anything in return so you see how this is (laughs) non-reciprocal and that is what inspired Bridge Over Troubled Water I was gonna say yeah now let's go write some number one songs you jerk (laughs) so I don't know why they had this fight at at the 53rd and 5th uh, subway station, they were like, just take the picture. <laughs> God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Look at that bridge. Um, so <laughs> I don't know why, but they had so many fake names early on in their career. So Witness protection. Like I said, they start. You know what I, I, you know what I do think it is, though, is is. Simon's like, there's no way he's gonna buy a record by someone named Garfunkel. Like, this is no Garfunkel we, again. We, I know, but, but I'm just saying. I don't think it was that. I, I, I okay. think what I think is that. I don't know. The '50s was a time where basically they were like, you can't be named your real name. It's right. just not gonna work. So mm-hmm. they, they, they performed as Tom and Jerry for two years, with Garfunkel going by the name Tom Graff because he liked math. And Simon, <laughs> Paul Simon, going by Jerry Landis. I, I don't know. Okay. Which apparently I think was a surname of a girl he liked. I don't know. In their solo work, so 
later on, they they both started doing solo work when they were in in college. In their solo work, Simon went as Paul Kane, and Garfunkel went by Artie Gar. Artie Gar and Paul Kane. Artie Gar. We could have had Artie Gar and Paul Kane as two solo acts. Wow. Or Kane and Gar as yeah. as a duo. Well, I got news for you. <laughs> after school, uh, or I should say after Paul Simon got out of school, they got back together and performed as, say it, Michael. Yeah. Kane and Gar? Kane and Gar. They're killing me here. Wow. They are killing me. Art Garfunkel took the name Tom Graff because he liked math, uh-huh. and uh, Paul Simon took the name Joey Spellingbee. <laughs> God. So I will, I will Johnny say Lunch. <laughs> Johnny, I'm not doing the ropes in gym class. <laughs> so though Kane and Gar is a terrible duo name, they did perform... Uh, in Greenwich Village at, at an open mic where they performed three new songs, one of which was The Sound of Silence. And um, at the at the open mic, they got the attention. The other one was I Like Math. That's right. The third one was Baby Got Back. Right. <laughs> and, but at this open mic, they got the attention of Tom Wilson of Columbia Records, who signed them to a contract. Uh-huh. Tom Wilson, who I believe was... Uh, Part, he was uh, very um, instrumental in Bob Dylan's career. So I feel like we've spoken about Tom Wilson before. I feel like we've spoken about everybody at Columbia Records before. But So Wilson produced their debut album Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., which was a mix of original songs, folk songs, and singer-songwriter covers. Guys, good news. <laughs> Paul Simon came to his senses and decided no more stage names. And at Folk City on March 31st, 1964, Simon and Garfunkel made their debut. As Simon and Garfunkel, they killed off Kane and Gar. <laughs> so they still un- talked a lot about math, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, you Art have Garfunkel your first really love. really liked math. Yeah, you have your first love. What are you going to do? So unfortunately, their debut album only sold 3,000 copies. And they kind of went their separate ways again. Simon, uh, Paul Simon spent some time in England while Art Garfunkel finished his time at Columbia University. Also, when he was in England, that this is when he met Kathy of Kathy's Song. After some back and forth, he, Paul Simon came back to the States uh, in 1965, I believe. And uh, basically his mother was like, you got to go to law school. And so he went to like a semester of law school, but Music was still pulling him back, so he went back to uh, he went back to England, where he released a solo album, the Paul Simon Songbook. Which, P.S. as a new, as kind of a new person on the block, yeah. real ballsy name for an album, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I guess the Paul Simon legacy was taken. Right, right. The best of Paul Simon, who you just <laughs> heard of, so, Ultimate Paul Simon. Your yeah, first album. But I will say this, that that album included the later hits, I Am A Rock and April Come She Will. So Mm. there you go. So they finally sort of broke through when a DJ in Boston found and played Sound of Silence. And it quickly made its way 
across the across the East Coast, down the East Coast. Sure. So it became Around. a big hit. And this led uh, Wilson to make a rock remix of the song in 1965, similar to uh, what he did with Bob Dylan. Uh, and it hit the Billboard Hot 100. Here's the thing. He did not tell Simon and Garfunkel that they were that he was doing that. And they got kind of annoyed with him. But by 1966, it had sold over a million copies. So I'm sure they were fine about it. Yeah. So this led to the duo reuniting and recording the album Sounds, uh, Sounds of Silence in three weeks. So they sort of rushed it out or they felt that it was rushed out. But the album hit number 21 on the top LPs and gave us the singles Homeward Bound and I Am A Rock, both of which hit the top 10. I Am A Rock hit mm. number three, I believe. Okay. So because they felt Sounds of Silence was rushed and they felt a little bit backed into a corner of it, like literally they said, you have to put out an album. It has to be called Sounds of Silence. They decided that their next album, they were going to have a lot more control over the music and over the producing. But this led to that album, Parsley Sage, Rosemary and Time, taking nine months to produce. So a long time. But I think by today's standards, that's not really a long time. No, but I mean, how many times in the like 60s have we gone through these um Oh yeah, they record it in a weekend. Like, and... Yeah, they record in a weekend, and every year they're putting out an album. Yeah. So. And some like two a year. Right. Well, I got news for you. It's it. It just goes longer and longer. So, after release of the album and touring colleges, which is sort of where they sort of where their uh, meat and potatoes was, if you will, <laughs> they did a lot of college a lot of college tours. Simon started to develop writer's block in 1966, late 90s. 66, 67, and it took two years for their next album to be released. But in this time, this was the time where Mike Nichols and Mrs. Robinson came to be. So 1967, that's where they worked on this. And um, so that's where they had the time to do things like hang out with Mike Nichols and do, 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 and D, 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 and write the song Mrs. Roosevelt. So finally, Bookends was recorded, but it took on and off two years. It was a t it was a tough recording session. Punky's mm -hmm. Dilemma alone, the recording of Punky's Dilemma alone took 50 hours to record. So a lot of perfectionism going on there. Punky. And Punky. <laughs> Punky. You're taking too long to record your album, Punky. Oh, Punky. Um, what's the dog's name? Uh, Brendan, Brandon, 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 the album bookends marked the beginning of the end for the duo with Simon saying it was an early indication of his intention to go solo. There was less collaboration. There was more sort of separated vocals, less harmonizing, that kind of stuff. But the album stayed on the Billboard charts for 66 weeks with seven non-consecutive weeks at number one. So it was it was a big hit. Their next I'm going to say I want to say this controversial opinion. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good pretty good well their next yeah. album mm -hmm. the huge bridge over troubled water yeah. was released in 1970 i mean huge hit it was the best-selling album for three years in a row 1970 71 72 and at the time 
was the best-selling album of all time. Mm. It stayed on the charts in the U.S. for 85 weeks and stayed on the charts in the U.K. for 285 weeks. Huge. It won six awards at the Grammys in 1971, including Album of the Year, but the damage was done. And it was. Can I, I just want to say one yeah. thing. I just want to say one thing. I mean, thing, I had literally half is, a sentence left, but go on. But I understand. <laughs> I understand. I understand how this works. But I'm just trying to imagine the British guy at week 284 who's like, you know what I haven't bought yet? Bridge over trouble. Water. <laughs> right. I'm going to run down to the store and get it right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you missed the boat, buddy. 284 weeks ago, you should have yep. bought that album. I'm just yep. going to say that. <laughs> Right, continue. <laughs> so, like I said, by the time they won the Grammys in 71, the damage was done and they were going to break up. And mm. the duo played their last concert at Forest Hill Stadium at the time. So for the next few years, they rarely spoke, maybe once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. And there's birthday much cards. more. Huh? Birthday cards. They did birthday cards. And yeah. And like a, just a, just once a year they did a, I got to give a quick call. Yeah. Like, just like, and then they hung up and like, oh, thank God that's over with. Well, that's how they wrote that song. I just called to say, I hate you. <laughs> right. Right. Um, obviously there's uh, so much more to say, but again, I'm ending it abruptly because what happens next yes. is they keep reuniting and things right, happen right. and sort of the next like part of their lives happens. So and we're probably going to speak about them again. There's yeah, plenty definitely. of I mean, story to be told about Simon. And yeah. Garfunkel. If the summer of symbolism becomes a, especially the summer symbolism becomes a recurring thing because most of their songs are story songs, but also are like heavily symbolic. So right. we'll probably, uh, we'll probably come back yeah. to them again. Uh, all right. Is it a literal bridge? We don't know. Mm, right. We don't know. We'll find Is out. Is that water really troubled? Stay tuned next summer. <laughs> We'll be right back. Um, <laughs> we are going to be right back. We'll take a quick break and we come back. We'll talk about the lesson we learned from this song with Lessons Learned. All right. It's time for Lessons Learned. What lesson did we learn from this song? Michael, let's start with you. What lessons did you learn from Mrs. Robinson? I learned that. I think like most people who've listened to this episode, I have decided to join the Couch of the Month Club. Mm. Mm, okay. yep. But when you have that many couches, and to be clear, it is 12 couches a year. Um, sure. That's a big investment, and you want to protect that investment, and you want to keep those couches clean, and how are you going to do that? Plastics. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. I love it. That is what I learned. <laughs> Sounds good. I learned just about a great new service. It's it's AI it's AI based, which everyone's crazy about right sure. now. But um, if you are a famous person, if you're famous for something, our new system will look at any piece of writing that's about you and let you know whether this is directly about you or whether it's about how you're a symbol for an. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, a better, easier, more grandiose time right. in American history. Yeah. So, and it really helps with that because I got my um, review at work mm. 
and um, it was not good, you guys. But then I found out it was really more about the soul of America. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, sure. Than about me specifically. And that actually made me feel a lot better. Yeah, it'll let you know so. whether it's about you as a person or you as an iconic like an, figure as a, of history. Right, or as, like, as an idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which um, it's really, like, obviously that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, definitely go to our website, sign up. <laughs> you know, it's... What's it called, it's Dan? Only, it's only $199 a year. <laughs> there are times that you're just going about your day and you're like, I'm just a regular person. Right. It's like, no, you are representative of an era. Exactly. And an idea. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Of lost heroes. Yeah, here. So... <laughs> As you're doing your dishes, you're like, am I a hero? <laughs> am I a hero of days gone by? Huh. Yeah. The likes of which we will never see again? No. Gosh, hmm. I cannot get this dried egg off of this dish. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in days gone by, <laughs> Rachel. You know, there's a lot of things that will add resale value to your home. You mm-hmm. know, you update your bathroom, you know? Add a walk-in sure. closet, but Absolutely. if you really want to up the value of your home, cupcake pantry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cupcake pantry, that'll do it every time. Yeah, you know why? Because you can put anything in there. It's it says it's for cupcakes, but it's also for secrets and affairs <laughs> that you don't want people right. to know about. And secret cupcakes. Food wise, yeah. yeah food wise, only cupcakes. Yeah, but right. other things. I mean, secret things, secret things that you want to keep from possibly the government or possibly people who are putting you in some sort of institution <laughs> that you put that there too. look, who are we to, who are we to judge? Uh, but what are we going to say? Look, all I know is if you're doing it right, every pantry is a cupcake pantry. Exactly. You got it, buddy. You can't turn around without finding a cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, this has been the Story Song Podcast. Come on back next episode and we'll do another great story song. If you could follow us on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, uh, where you can also find a couple of things by Joe DiMaggio, uh, that would be great. <laughs> and uh, and if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts, we would certainly appreciate it and we will read it on the show. Come back next episode. I'm Dan McInerney. I'm Rachel Oaks. And I'm Michael Gazelle. We'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Our theme music was written and performed by Jason Flowers. Find him on Twitter at Jason Flowers with a Z. Some of our bumper music was provided by Purple Planet Music. Our logo was designed by Dan Geva. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at story underscore song, and on Instagram at story song podcast. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. The Story Song Podcast is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Go to pantheonpodcasts.com. Thanks for listening. It's the Story Song Podcast. There was a... Um, a very short-lived Broadway musical called Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tap dancing to Art Garfunkel's yeah. music. A lot of tap dancing to acoustic guitar. <laughs> yeah, real slow. Exactly. Did not work. Mm. I was a fan, but, you know. One, <laughs> one fan does not a Broadway success make, <laughs> I suppose. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 